Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, Eric Van Horn, Nir Al, Stefan Georgie, Craig Ballantyne, Phil Jones, Aaron Stokes, Trav Levinsky. What are your main kind of top three things that have brought you and gotten you to the level that you're at? I'm not a micromanager. I've never been a micromanager, and some of it might be laziness because I don't want to do do it all. But um, but I've had to become a better leader over the over the years. And so from you know naturally not being a micromanager to learning to be a better leader and making really good hires, that's probably you know one of the key mm. things. Um, and I've and I've gotten better at that and continue to get better at that. Okay. Another cool. thing um, is is finding the right business partners. And, and, uh, I've done a good job of that mostly. Um, and that's finding people that aren't like you, you know, it's easy to go into partnerships that are, if they're like me, they have that same vision, the same strengths. But, you know, like if you go, um, if you look at, uh, the book traction or the EOS operating system, you need the visionary and the integrator to make it work really well. And so, um, before I, like in the salon business, we were all visionaries and <laughs> that's when we realized we need an integrator in this right. role. Somebody that, that enjoys doing the work, enjoys that, like that's what they're made for. And so, um, I learned that lesson there and that wasn't too long ago. And so people that I, I the things that I look for now in business partners or key operational partners in the business are that they're that integrator. And, um, and so that way, you know, and then that we understand each other. I don't want, sure. I don't have an ego and I don't want them to have an ego. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. and so I would just want that to be a really seamless relationship where I can be honest with them. They can provide honest feedback to me and we're both okay with that. So those are the, some of the things that I look for. And one other thing is a simple business model. The more complex the model is, what it you know it might have inventory and different levels of employees and just a lot of complexity to it. That is a model that is most likely not conducive to the type of ownership that I like, where there's a number of KPIs and you can dumb it down and you can you know your metrics. But if there's so many different moving parts, that starts to scare me a little bit. Like food, I've just never been into the food business. You know, like a McDonald's or something like that. I'm like, there's so many moving parts in that but I know a lot of people that that love it and they do very well but that's not for me we got a few minutes left Um, what's one question like all right I wish Josh would ask this but he hasn't asked it yet what's one thing you're like man you know I really need to share this with everyone Oh boy, Josh, I don't even know how to, <laughs> and I didn't know I was going to be asking questions to myself on this. Um, you know, why, probably my why, why do I do this? And it goes back to that story with my dad um, and how he made that decision early on to spend time with us. It was a very conscious decision. I've taken that and I've 10 x it. Like everything that I do is for my family. Like 
family is priority to me. It's way more important than business, way more important than anything else. It's like, I want to be a good husband, a good father. I don't want to just provide for them. I don't want to ha- them to have all the stuff, but I want them to have relationship with me. I want to be the one that as they, I've got three daughters and they're, uh, they just had birthdays. So five, seven, and 10. And I want, everyone says, Oh my gosh, it's going to get crazy. And I'm sure it will get crazy, but I want to have that relationship, that bridge with them where we can talk about stuff. And, and at least that I did my part to do that. And then just with my wife to have that thriving relationship, that thriving marriage. So I protect my family, protect those relationships. And so what are some of the strategies or tactics that you've put together? I, I, you probably, I'm outline them in the book and everything, but what are some of these different things to be able to, obviously it's, it's with the calendar and detailing it out, uh, but to be able to, I guess, make us more comfortable with the uncomfortable or to be able to move us past these distractions. Yeah. So there's, so that, that falls into the first bucket, which is the most important around mastering the internal triggers. So there's three big strategies. We have to reimagine the trigger Okay. Reimagine the task and reimagine our temperament. So reimagining the trigger is all about seeing that discomfort differently. And okay. one of the things that that really chafes me these days is when you when you hear the self help industry these days. So many self help gurus they tell us that we're supposed to be happy all the time. That we're if we're not satisfied with life, then something's wrong with us. Right. And I think nothing further nothing could be further from the truth. And in fact, we are hardwired for disquietude. We are built to always want more, right? Mm. If there was ever a group of homo sapiens uh, that didn't have that trait, that didn't have the trait of, of wanting more, of, of being perpetually uh, desirous of wanting something, of, of, of if there was ever a tribe that was happy and satisfied all the time, our ancestors probably killed and ate them, <laughs> right? That would not be a good evolutionary trait. We right. want to constantly want. That is a good thing. That's what keeps us striving and creating and inventing and pr- and improving our species lot in life. And so don't I don't like this 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 idea that if if you're not happy all the time that something's wrong with you. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Feeling bad isn't bad. Right, for we sure. We can harness that power. <clears throat> we can harness these internal triggers to help us lead acts of traction rather than distraction. Mm. It's about do we have the toolkit that when we feel these uncomfortable emotional states, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, whatever it is that we're feeling, do we have the tools in our toolkit to do things that are helpful or things that are hurtful? And that's exactly what I teach. That's great. What, um, so you said uh, that that's with the internal, then what um, different things then would you suggest or what strategies for the external? Obviously, there's all different kinds of apps and different things like that, that I don't use half of them. I'm just like, all right, I just got to do this and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> so for yeah. example, program yeah, so myself it, that you know, way. There's, there's a little section in the book about how to hack back the external triggers on your phone, your computer, but that's kind of kindergarten stuff, right? Sure. Even though, believe it or not, two thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. Seriously? Wow. Can, can we really say that technology <laughs> is addicting us and it's controlling our brain when we haven't even taken five minutes to change those notification settings? That's crazy. Right. right? So ask yourself, which of these external triggers are serving you versus which are you serving? And then we got to turn those off, right? Uninstall the services that aren't serving you. Right. Um, but then I, I would argue that there's a lot more pernicious distractions like 
the the open floor plan office, like the the meetings that we don't need to have, email, oh my God, the amount of time we spend on email. And people who have read the book and, and read early reviews of it have told me that utilizing the techniques in the book has saved them up to 90% of the time they used to spend on email. So they reduced wow. the time they spend on email by up to 90%. So I show you using the psychology of why is email so habit forming? Why do we feel like we constantly need to check email? I teach you basically the Achilles heel okay. of how to manage email in such a way that you greatly reduce the number of emails that you get, lo and behold, by reducing the number of emails you send every day. So there, uh. that's, that's the part of the secret. And then there's details around how to do that exactly. But basically, you know, if you wanna get fewer emails, you have to send fewer emails. So I'll show you exactly <laughs> how to do that. I guess that does make sense when you think yeah. about it, though. And, and, but that's not how most people react. Most people, they, they have a big old email inbox, and they just start you know, ticking it off, whatever's at the top of the list. That's what they start ticking off, and that's not what you want to do. There's a, a very simple technique uh, that you can use that re will reduce the amount of time you spend on email dramatically. Awesome. What's um, a couple uh, things you would really want to leave people with? Like, guys, this is what I really think is going to really help you right now today, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, you know, helping you get more focus, less distraction. Sure. Yeah. So look, I, I've been a CEO twice. I've helped start two companies and, uh, you know, let me tell you, your only job as a CEO, you have only one job. Your only job is to prioritize. That's all you have to do. Mm. You just have to prioritize. And I see, you know, I'm also an angel investor. I've been an angel investor for over, well over a decade now. And I constantly see people screw up their companies because they don't have the ability to follow through, to do what they say they are going to do, even when they know the answer, right? <laughs> I mean, part of what's, start, what's difficult about starting a company is that when you don't know what to do. But how many times do we know what to do and we just can't execute? So being able to be the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do. That's the kind of person that people want to invest in. That's the kind of person that people work with. It's really this super skill, this macro skill in all areas of our life to be indistractable, to be the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do. And so the key here, the mantra I want people to remember is that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Okay, the reason you're not getting done what you wanna do, whether it's if you don't spend enough time in contemplation, meditation, prayer, taking care of your body, taking care of your family, following through on your business, the reason you don't do that is because of an impulse control problem, right? Time management is pain management. Right. And so the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. One of the things that we can do better than any other animal on the face of the earth is that we can see the future with greater fidelity. We can predict what is going to happen better than any other animal on the face of the earth. So we need to use that power because if you wait till the last minute, if you depend on willpower and self-discipline and self-control, that stuff is BS. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because look, if the chocolate cake is on the fork on its way to your mouth, you're gonna eat it. If the cigarette is lit in your hand, you're gonna smoke it. If your cell phone is on your nightstand and you sleep next to it every night, it's gonna be the first thing you reach for in the morning. So the antidote is to plan ahead. You don't need willpower, you don't need self-control, you need a system. So for, so say somebody's just starting out, writing copy, things like that, what are some of the initial things that you suggest? Because I know you do a lot of training, you help a lot of copywriters, you've trained a lot of people. So what's kind of that process that you take people down? Yeah, I think for people who are really just starting out, it would be 
studying like kind of what you mentioned to your daughter, but but studying a lot of sales letters that are kind of considered classics or that we know are working. Right. Uh, and there's ways to do that. I mean, even as simple as Googling classic sales copy or sales letters to study, things like that. And you'll find a bunch of that and, and or go to like a place like ClickBank or another marketplace where you'll be able to find a bunch of these um, kind of like, I call them offers, right? Because they're sort of maybe the person has a business, but they're really offering one product or right. one service. So going in and looking at those and, and, and reading them and then copying them as much as you can, like, you know, people talk about copying them by hand, like handwriting them out. I'll type stuff up, you know, I don't want to handwrite for that long. My hand will cramp, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's important. And what you'll, you will find some commonalities there and you'll see sort of like that. If you start looking at a lot of these sort of sales letters or maybe it's emails, sure. You know, maybe you don't want to write sales letters. We want to write better marketing emails to your list or, better econ pages, you'll just start to notice that there's commonalities to all these things. And then making a note of those commonalities and kind of trying to understand why people, why do those exist? What, what's the point? Why are they there? And then taking that, that's really a good first step. And even um, one of my good friends is a guy named Nick Daniel. He runs a company called, well, too, uh, B Shred and Sculpt Nation. They're one of the fastest growing health brands. And they're in the same mastermind that you and I are in together, right. Josh. And I think they're going to end up doing over 120 million in revenue this year. And when Nick, they struggled a lot early on too. And then that's literally what Nick did is he just went and looked at all the top offers and started writing them all down and then almost like pulling the pieces he liked from each one and seeing where, uh, uh, you know, that commonality was. And then he basically just chopped that all together and created his own sales letter without having any idea of whether it was good or not. And it, it worked. And, and, you know, I, I write stuff for them now and um, they hire people for my mastermind. And so he doesn't write a lot of the copy anymore, but he was able to actually, that's, that was like the turning point for his business. And wow. it was just looking at a bunch of stuff that, you know, that kind of was working out there. So that would be a good first step for people. Awesome. I know we were talking a little bit off camera and stuff. You mentioned too, you had a really cool headline idea to make your headlines better and stuff for people's websites. Yeah. So, cause one thing, I know you mentioned, obviously a lot of your audiences, uh, you know, e-com oriented, which is great. I, I do stuff in e-com as well. And I think that's one area of opportunity. Uh, I did a, I have a friend who runs like an e-com type uh, mastermind group. And he was, I, I basically reached out, I'm like, hey, let me write some copy for free. And he kind of thought I was like joking, but I'm like, no, seriously, because I do a lot of like longer form copy. I'm like, but this is all applicable to e-com as well. And so he linked me with a couple of their clients, including a woman who has a dog harness company that they do eight, eight figures a year. Wow. And they just hadn't really tested headlines in a while. And I gave them some headline variants to test and it ended up boosting, it was saying like a 10% boost in conversions, but she, she was doing a thousand sales a day. So now she's doing 1,100 sales a day. I mean, it's, it's very significant. And the only difference was changing the headline to be more targeted to the market. And so part of that was, was through the research, right? And so going back to RMBC and why that really works and the, the R part is great for ad copy, et cetera. But I think that a lot of, guys who have good Shopify sites and stores and things and you know the business is going well, they're probably still missing out by not testing more headlines on their Shopify stores or whatever e-com platform they're using. Right. So one thing you know we we talk about or I teach is about there's like seven kind of elements that can go into a really good headline. And you may not have all of these because it's really hard to fit seven things into like a you know 10, 15 <laughs> word headline. But the more of them you can have the better. So I'll just kind of list them out. And obviously it's hard to do, you know, go in depth with examples here, but you know, saying again, where I'll, I'll provide sure. a link or something where people can, can view it Definitely. more. But 
right? So one is going to be like curiosity, which just always is always works. Curiosity works, whether it's like an email or a Facebook ad or whatever. So, you know, like the classic John Carlton stuff of like the one armed golfer who, you know, outdrives everybody right. type thing. There's like an instant kind of curiosity aspect to that. Another one would be like calling out people's pain point, right? Why are they, why are they on your page? Right? Why are they looking, they have a pain point. We don't, I don't mean it has to be this really vicious, like stabbing them in their, 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 you know, wounds type thing, but you know, calling out why they're there. So if someone's there, they're looking for a solution. And so acknowledging that, and then number three would be promising a solution. Okay. So again, and it's, it's pretty classic, but this whole problem solution thing, but that helps. But another really important one is specificity. So that just in general, like whether if you're able to make it like about a time frame, like, you know, sleep, you know, a better night's sleep within 24 hours, you know, guarantee. I mean, that would, that would be the whole headline, but like the point is right. within a time frame, or maybe it's like, you know, for a golf product, again, 225 yard drives on demand. It's not hit longer drives, it's hit 225 yard drives, things like that, just being more specific. The fifth one would be simplicity. So sh making it clear that this is a simple, easy, elegant solution. That this is something that you know that you're offering, or that you you have a yeah some, something that's just going to be easy for them because nobody likes complex or complicated things. The final two would be first uh, credibility or addressing skepticism. So if you have something like um, you know trusted by 22 of the world's top 50 heart surgeons, or you know why 10 of the top 50 golfers in the world choose our product, or whatever it is, some kind of thing that that increases your credibility. Why USA Today ranked us the number one, you know, mattress, uh, for women who are over 45 and struggle with a good night's sleep, whatever, right. you know, it may be. And then the last one would come back to like, if you can have a, a time frame to achieve the results of the, of, of your promise. Right. So again, it's not just like, and again, it's you careful of compliance. If you do health or something like that, or sure. that can get tricky, but if it's something where, you know, within, you know, increase your, income, save, you know, save another thousand dollars in the next 30 days, like guaranteed, something like that. So specific, so you're not just making a promise, but you're putting a time frame attached to it. Um, so those are kind of like the, the main ones that I think if you can kind of have as many of those elements as possible, you'll generally see that your headline uh, will do better. Awesome, man. It's like, you're like, all right, sweet. I got these things working and these things working. And it's like, oh, wait, you know, Craig's talking about this. He's talking about that, you know, and then it's like, all right, cool. Where can, you know, how can you piece those in or where's the best place to insert those in to what you're doing now? Yeah. And, and that's a great question. And it starts with the self-knowledge. And one of the exercises we do is we have the people do the time journal, as I mentioned before. And, and this comes to my fitness background is when we had people who struggled to lose weight and we had them use a food journal, research studies showed that they lost up to 30% more weight because now you're not like, yeah, I ate perfect today. And, and your mind totally forgets about the two cookies you had when you got home from work. Right. Okay, if you gotta write everything down, you go, oh. And then you make the association about why is that happening? Well, you know, when I was a kid growing up, every day I came home from school and I would turn on the TV and eat two Oreo cookies. And that's a nervous system habit that's been ingrained for 30 years and now you're doing it and you gotta figure out something else that will circumvent that. But you don't find that out until you do the food journal. Same with the time. You go back to the time and you go, why every day am I going to ESPN.com at 11 o'clock? And it's often because you're one of four things, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And that's mm. the whole thing that Bedros learned from his psychiatrist or the psychologist, yep. or whatever it was. 
and you know, like you act out, you quote unquote start acting out when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so I like I had what an OCD loop of going through Facebook and my stats and my ESPN and my email at 11 in the morning. And I realized it was because I've been working for a while and I just need to go outside and take a walk. And if I took a walk, I could come back in and go right back to work. Instead of going 45 minutes through those junky websites, I just spent 10 minutes getting some fresh air and I was back on track. So you start to notice those things. And then when you know your best self, now you can take the principles because my life is not your life and how I, what time I get up is not the time you're supposed to go Right. Very much like Joel and I were opposites and still successful. And so now you take the principles and you plug and play the right ones in for you. And you take your days from like, you know, I'm consistently like seven and a half out of 10 nailing my days. You get up to like a nine out of 10, five, six days a week, you know, depending on how much you work. But, you know, five work days, you're running at nine out of 10. Man, you're going to be unstoppable next year. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That's awesome. Well, cool. We only got a few minutes left. What would be some maybe some last couple insights, uh, tactics, strategies that you're like, man, I really got to tell people this because this is going to transform their lives. Um, and this is what it is. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with the, the bedtime and the wake up time. And my mentor, a guy named Mark Ford, he wrote all these books under the name Michael Masterson. You probably have Ready, Fire, Aim. Yeah, Ready, yeah, Fire, yeah. Aim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, he, he put out this you know, like advice when I was 25 and I resisted it for seven years. But when I finally took it, it made a huge difference. And it's so simple. It's go to bed at the same time every night, get up at the same time every day. And it's also research proven that if you have sleep problems, this right. is the first place that every sleep doctor will start. Just go to bed at the same time. Okay. Because if you're all over the place, it's, it's difficult in the routine. Now, most people will say, I want to go to bed at 11 o'clock tonight. And then, you know, they're looking at their, their watch and it's 1130. Man, I'm not even ready yet. And so we put in this little system called the reverse alarm. And maybe people have heard about this, but the reverse alarm is just so simple, but so effective. And when you do the reverse alarm, what you're going to do is simply set up an alarm for an hour before bed. So if you want to go to bed at 11 o'clock, you set it up at 10 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, you have to turn off the electronics, okay? Because when you turn off the electronics, that does a couple of things. Because electronics can keep you up in a couple of ways. One, the blue light. Yeah, you can have blue light blockers, but that doesn't stop you from having Facebook drama and Instagram drama and email drama and all that sort of stuff. So if we shut that down an hour before bed, now we're left with what some of my friends call Amish hour, uh, uh, but also... As I like to say, you're just left with old school activities. You can talk to your spouse. You can talk to your kids. You can, you know, if you have young kids, read them a story. You can read a book yourself. You can have a bath. You can do all these things that kind of wind you down so that you can fall asleep on time. And when you fall asleep on time, you get up on time. You have more energy. You you know, we're not 18 forever. So eventually, if you're keeping crazy hours and you're only sleeping four or five hours a night, it will catch up to you. And I think that was part of the anxiety attacks that I had. And I had a lot of friends who once they hit like 33, 35, started to have something. I had the anxiety. Other guys had digestive issues. Other guys had other stress. And because we were running full tilt and you just can't. So so those two little things, you know, the sleeping consistency and the reverse alarm are just another uh, couple of things that we didn't cover because we covered a lot of the other goodies in there that will help people get more done. And when you can get more done, you can make more money. Awesome, man. What are some of the challenges or I guess roadblocks people run into? Obviously, we kind of touch base briefly on what is like kind of the commonalities. What are some of those roadblocks or challenges 
um, you know, people that are running into when they're trying to sell, whether it's on video or in person or whatever that may be? Uh, well, let's take another big one is, is people aren't very good at talking about money. Mm, right. Yet one of the most common questions that's asked of every consumer is, yeah, but how much? Right. Is, you know, consumer wants to know how much and the person selling doesn't want to tell you. Right. Because that they are fearful of maybe bumping into some form of rejection or that they're fearful of, you know, it not being seen as the right amount of value. From that, what I take from it is that firstly, if you're not convinced, you cannot convince. Like if you do not believe what you're asking somebody to part with money for towards the thing that you're introducing to them is worth the money, please don't expect somebody else to believe it if you don't. But secondly, it's, it's what selling really is. So selling in my mind is earning the right to make a recommendation. It's not embellishing a product or service with features and benefits, hoping it might stick. Right. Like take my viewpoint, even as a professional speaker is like, I'm never going to get paid more money than I'm worth. People think my speech is worth the money. My speech isn't worth the money unless it's combined with the right audience, the right moment at the right time to achieve the right result. Right. So those things need to happen, too. It's never the thing that's worth the money. It's what the thing can really go on to be able to do. It's the result that it goes on to be able to achieve for the other person. So if you are uncomfortable talking about the, you know, the money part of a sales discussion, you have to be aware of, of really that you're looking for your product or service to do one of three things. One is to um, make somebody else some more money. <laughs> right. Right. Two is it's going to help save them some time and increase some efficiencies in their world. Or, or thirdly, it's going to make them look or feel cool. Right. Like, like that, that's it. So if you can get clear on how your thing delivers tremendous value in one or some or all of those three areas, then guess what happens? You can talk about the result of the thing that you're doing as opposed to the thing that you're doing. And nobody's ever interested in your thing. They're only ever interested in the things that surround the things and the result of those things. I know that sounds like a riddle, but I very much mean it on purpose because there's work involved in articulating that value proposition. What's kind of one of the main things you're like, okay, Josh, I hope you're going to ask this question, but I haven't asked it yet. What would you want to let people know or ideas or strategies or tactics, something that you're like, all right, hey, here's something you really got to know, guys. If there's one thing that, you know, that, that I'd really love people to be able to pick up from this, it's probably, um, uh, um, yeah, um, yeah, that's it. It's that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment when you're saying it. <laughs> Right. That's yeah. the reality here is that, that, that so many of the conversational tracks that we find ourselves with are repetitive, they're predictable, that we can actually approach them with efficiencies. And if people approach their conversational efficiencies in the sales process anywhere near the level they look at maybe their online funnels, hmm. then what difference would that make to success? Not only would it make difference towards your success metrics, but it'll also help you understand the people who are not for you. Right. And that's equally important too. Like what your goal is, is to be able to get more of the sales that are right for you to fit and move on. Success here isn't about moving those to yeses. It's about taking all those people who are stuck in maybe that could have chosen you that probably decided to do nothing or they should have chosen you, but because of your inability to converse with them correctly, they actually went with an inferior competitor. Mm. Those are the people you're looking to influence. Influence enough of those people and you'll be crushing it. Right. No, that's awesome. You were talking about, you know, a lot of times in business as entrepreneurs and everything else, there's many times I know people have been in, they feel like they're in that quicksand and they're not able to get out. And you kind of mentioned that real brief and kind of hopped over it. What 
and you said you teach a little bit on it. What have you found that has kind of helped in those times, but then some different things that have moved you out of that area? So imagine when you're in quicksand and there's multiple vines and sticks laying around you. And you could grab what you think is the strong stick. You can grab what you think is the strong vine. But the greasy, nasty, slimy vine that you don't want to grab covered in mud might be the vine you have to grab to pull you out of that mess. And because we want to elegantly and um, what would be another way to describe it? We want to save face as we get out of the quicksand. So we grab the nice sticks. We grab the things that look good. When most of the time... To get out of your mess as quick as possible, you just need to grab the nastiest, muddiest vine you can that has strength to it and crawl your butt out of that hole and get to work. Don't go take a shower. Get out of the hole and get to work. A lot of people confuse inaction with action. So here's inaction. Inaction is grabbing something, grabbing at something, then your heart of hearts you know won't work, but you use the excuse, I got to at least try this before I do this drastic move. Like before I go fire a bunch of people, like your way to get out might be to fire half your staff, but that's embarrassing and you don't want to do that. That's the slimy vine. I don't, I don't want to go do that. I don't tell people that I failed them and I didn't run the company with that fiduciary responsibility that would have made me make the correct decision. Instead, I screwed up. I spent too much money on myself or my family or I didn't monitor things correctly. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I got to let you go uh, without a severance, by the way. <laughs> right. You know? And, um, a lot of people can't do that. They just can't. And they wait until it's really, really bad. I'd, I'd tell you the number one tip I could give people, if you can imagine a chain, your job as a business owner is to start at this end of the chain and walk all the way over to this end of the chain. And for those listening from my right hand to my left, <laughs> and your job is to inspect every link in that chain. And when you find a link that's weak, it is your fiduciary responsibility to the rest of that company, all the families that depend on you, your family, your future to take your welding torch out, cut that link out, and replace it with a new link. But if you wait until that link snaps and you knew it was the weakest link because the chain is only as strong as the weakest link, right? then what's going to happen is you're going to replace that link when you have to but not when you needed to. And I like to run my business – and I like to make decisions when I need to, not right. when I have to. When I need to do something, it's like, hey, it's December. I need to start working on my marketing plan for next year. But if I wait until March and spring is here, well, now I have to. My marketing plan is coming out late. You know, My business has started dipping. Things aren't going well. I ain't going to do that. It's not what I'm going to do. So, and it's the same with employees. you got a bad employee working for you. You're going to wait until the gun's to your head and you have to do it? Or are you going to do it now when you need to do it? And that's self-discipline. And you may go, Aaron, I've walked the chain. I'm at the other end. I'm over here at your left hand. Guess what? Turn around and walk back now. Mm. You never stop walking and you never stop inspecting every link. And if you keep replacing each weak link, what happens to the chain? In a couple of years, that chain's so strong. It's so much bigger. People think success comes by massive proportions, but what they don't understand is it comes incrementally and incrementally in small little adjustments. And then one day that changed so strong, it's able to pick up something massive like what's happened with us that I never saw coming. That's awesome, man. What's one thing you're like, man, I wish Josh would have just really asked me this. What's one thing like that you'd want to just quickly share with the audience? Become a good storyteller because everybody has a story. And uh, 
if you tell your story the right way, your story will pave your way and you can't be embarrassed of it. So just like me, I can't be embarrassed that I only have an eighth grade education. I can't be embarrassed that I met my wife on the internet. I can't be embarrassed that she's the only woman I've ever kissed. Uh, the, my, my baby mama, as she likes to call herself, and um, she is uh, my rock and she has done so much for me. But when I look at that, my business, everything out there, I've got to not be embarrassed of my failures. I've got to not be embarrassed of how my life grew. I've got to be proud of that. And you've got to be proud of that. And uh, your kids are watching you for those that have kids. So I, I just would encourage you become a master storyteller so that people will listen because your story is always telling somebody something. What are maybe some success points, you know, that you would want to leave them with? Like, hey, you know, these top five things are definitely something you need to do and implement to be successful online. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a number of different things that I've already talked about. But right. Yeah. I think the most important is you have to have a story, right? You have to connect with the people that you're telling the story to. So you can't just tell a random story. It has to resonate with an audience, right? And that audience becomes who you target with your ad spend. So I think it's very, very important to really know who you are as a brand or a person if you're going to market something and figure out a way to talk to that audience and connect with them. And then is when you can throw fuel on the fire, which is ad spend or influencers. And if you're going to use influencers or run ads, that audience has to match. Right. Because it can actually destroy your brand in the sense that you can get all sorts of traffic from an influencer or a TV show that doesn't align with your core audience or values. Sure. And then when you're serving them that story, they're not buying into it, right? right? So you can get demotivated and you're like, no one's buying anything. And it's so important that all your traffic and all your emails and everything you get is in line with your core audience, your demographic. And you have to have, like when you're starting, starting, you have to have a vision, right? You have to have a mission and you have to really hone in on your vision, your mission and find out the audience that is going to be receptive of that. And then you can take those next steps of creating content and running ads. Okay. From then what about like, I guess anything that you would say on site, like for their e-com site that you found to kind of help them be successful when they launch um, outside of like the ads and the marketing piece of it? Definitely capturing data. Okay. So you spend all this time, effort and energy creating a product or a brand uh, and getting that traffic. But then, you know, are you capturing the right data? And that's everything from email pop-ups to incentives to get people's phone numbers uh, the appropriate pixels, whether that be Facebook, whether that be Google, whether that be Snapchat, you got to place the right pixel so that you can read the data um, and align that with your Google Analytics to make sure that you're doing the right thing over here. So when they get to the site, you can start analyzing it. And I think it's all based on data, right? They right. say data. Oh, the yeah. oil. So if you can put a heat map on your website, and really start to figure out where people are going on that journey and where they're falling off and then consistently optimize on site. And there's all sorts of different apps and integrations and things that you can do to optimize performance, which means you could go on and on for hours. But I right. think <laughs> the, right, the right answer to that is just focusing on the data 
and optimizing the checkout process. Okay. Right? Making it as simple as possible, as few clicks as possible for someone to buy and direct them what you want them to do. Like Russell has it, a plain and clear headlines, you know, multiple times the same thing, buy now, buy now, buy now with the button directing you to what he wants you to buy. Once you're in that funnel, you're not getting out. Like there is not even a homepage button or a back button, right? It's all designed to bring the purchaser through the experience. So what's that one last thing you want to share with somebody? Just some question that you wish I would have asked you that you were like, man, I really want to tell people this. Um, kind of on the spot, but I think just like if someone were to tell me to never give up and that the pieces will eventually fall together and that it will all start to make sense, you know, I think that's important because there was a long time, there was some dark days for me um, in this. And now I understand the formula. I've gone through the trials and tribulations of trying to figure out what does work for not only my brand, but e-commerce and, you know, having a life of financial freedom in general. Right. right. So I think it's just so important to just keep going and keep going and keep grinding. And I just in the last few years, it really started to click for me. And I started doing this stuff 15 years ago now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just staying consistent, showing up every day, putting in the work. Um, and it, it pays off. That's awesome. And then you just kind of mentioned what for you, what kind of pulled you through those dark days to help you kind of keep going and going i'm just relentless by nature um <laughs> and i had this idea in my head since i was a teenager that i was going to create a successful brand and i've just i've wanted it so badly that i would sacrifice anything friendships relationships financial status so you know i just i put myself through into those situations and i had to pull myself through it and you know, obviously one of those things was linking up with marcus and having him help me through some of those financial times and really figuring out where I need to put money for my business uh, and how like capital works. Right. right. Yep. So I think just uh, realizing that capital is important part of business. You can't just do everything on <clears throat> hard work, although it sounds like it would be great, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not quite as easy, you know, uh, sales and capital are the lifeblood of companies. So for sure. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.